0: The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town they were coming. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." So the disciples said to one another, "Has anyone brought him something to eat?" Je- Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet 4 months then comes the harvest?" Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did.
1: I'd like to begin this morning by asking you to think back um, to that moment in your life when you remember that Christ invaded it. Specifically, what I'd like you, even if you need to close your eyes right now, you can to just think back. And what I'd like you to think back and remember is, is the events leading in your life up to that point, that how God tilled the soil of your heart. Think about for a moment how how God did this work in preparing you to hear the gospel, to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. What events surrounded that? And then also I would love for you to begin to think about who was sent to you. Who did God send to you to bring the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ. And I want you to just thank them. Thank God right now for them and for how God used them. And just take a moment, and we're just going to be silent. And I want you to thank God for what he did in that moment and thank God for the people that he sent to you. Father God, I just want to thank you for Mrs. Salter. I want to thank you for the day that I deserved punishment. Instead, I received grace and mercy. I thank you how you prepared my heart to receive that message of truthfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For me, it was, uh, my parents were were part of starting a Christian school in Nebraska, Um, and uh, I had a a Christian teacher, and we had some missionaries come, and they had uh, asked us to put our heads down on the desk, and I was used to playing heads up, seven up, anybody? Okay. Age is me once again, I know, yeah. Um, But... uh, and I was heading my head down on the desk, and they had asked us if there was anybody one of us that wanted to trust in Jesus Christ. And um, I looked around the room, as I sometimes did when playing Heads Up, 7-Up, and, and I looked around the room, and I kind of felt bad for the guy, because nobody was raising their hand. And, and at, at this time, I, you know, I, I recognized that I wasn't really feeling bad. It was the Holy Spirit using this moment, even in my looking up, to, um, to draw me unto himself, and... So I raised my hand, and um, later on that day, during one of the recesses, my teacher, Mrs. Salter, came and got me and took us to the spanking room. Now that was that was a legit place back when I was, and I know because I'd visited it before for for other purposes. Um, and uh, she took me in there, and I thought for sure I was in trouble because the rule was you get a spanking at school, you're gonna get a spanking at home, um, and. Uh, I went in that room, and I began to immediately be like get teary-eyed and, 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 <laughs> and began to cry. And, and, and she sat me down and calmed me down, and she says, you know, I'm not here to spank you. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And she sat, and she just shared with me Christ. And I will for always remember, in my mind as clear as day, just Christ on the cross looking into my eyes saying, this is for you. And I began to weep with relief. And, joy. and I trusted in Jesus Christ that day. And That began the journey, that lifelong journey of pursuing Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for Mrs. Salter. Um, I, I believe after that year she left, am I correct? Am I correct? After that year she was gone. and came Mrs. Welch, who was great too. But Mrs. Salter was there in my life at that time. And bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And God prepared my heart to hear it. So that I might receive it. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture for us here today, as we look at Jonah chapter three. It begins with this beautiful statement. We're, we're going to go back a verse. We, we covered this a little bit last week, but we're going to go back a verse and, and begin with chapter verse five, chapter three, verse five, and it says, "And the people of Nineveh believed God." Just like underline that or highlight it in your text. Circle that bad boy. That is like, yes! It's like, woohoo In a book of darkness, in a book of like a guy who just won't get it, people believed God. And what's so ironic, it's the people who shouldn't believe God. And yes, Curtis, thank you for the reminder. If you don't have a Bible in your hands, we want to put one in your hands right now. Um, so Curtis and Colleen got some Bibles, so raise your hand. We'll put a Bible in your hand so you can read along with us and study this text with us. Because this is, you gotta, you got to read this for yourself. This is so beautiful. Because um, if you can remember back to what Nigel said way back three, four weeks ago now, Nigel you know, described the Assyrian people. And, and you may have been like grossed out by these individuals, how just sick and perverse they were. And just how utterly horrible they were. And so when you read this statement in verse 5, it's like, wow. Wow, what took place to prepare the hearts of the Ninevites, these, these wretched, horrible sinners, to believe God? We don't know. But I think that's the point. The author doesn't go into, well, the Ninevites had all these horrible things happen to them, or God prepared their hearts to receive this. It's the fact that this is the work of God. It seems to be the author's just screaming point to us. This is the grace of God being poured out on a people who don't deserve it. And God delights, delights to see these people believe. Now, I have heard some, some folks who have argued and, and have stated that we don't believe that the Ninevites truly had saving faith at this point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not make definitive lines here, but I wanna challenge some of that thinking based upon the language of the text, okay? Language is so helpful here at this point because if we're gonna argue that the Ninevites didn't truly believe in God, then we're gonna have to argue that Abraham didn't believe God either because the same word, that is used for Nineveh believing God is the same word used in Genesis fifteen six that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same word used. Super important. This is where language is like super important. So when we see this statement that the Ninevites believed God, write Genesis 15, 6 right there so that you might understand that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So why all of a sudden we say here that the Ninevites believed God, but it wasn't? Because, man, this is crazy. This is beautiful that these these people who are just so far from God seem to become a covenant people in this moment. A people saved by God. It is so amazing and wonderful. That's why I'm like, this is such a great passage of scripture to lift our hearts this morning. That God saved such a people. Notice here, what, they respond to their belief in God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. It wasn't their actions that saved them, but it was the fact that they believed in God. They believed in in who God was and the message that God had brought them in. Last week we talked about that message, that it was this veiled message, but God still used it to change hearts and to change lives. This is a very exciting thing. Youngblood says in his commentary, in fact, nothing can account for Nineveh's surprising receptivity other than God's preparation for this moment. Just like if you think back into how God prepared you, hearing your heart for the gospel message, God had prepared them to hear the the message of hope and of repentance, and he prepared them to hear the message. The message was brought to them, and they believed. They believed God. I don't even have my iPad open, so if you could totally like keep up with me, that would be fantastic. (laughs) Sweet. God's grace for the broken. Next, we see here, as we look at this next passage here, as we move on in this text, in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. And we talked about that a little bit last week that, that Jonah seems to have gone one day's travel into the city and that he seemed to have spoken the message there and then did an about face and and left. An about face means reversing direction and heading out, okay, for for folks here. And and so he leaves and he doesn't even go to the king and usually when a prophet was called to go to a people to, to see repentance, he goes to the leaders and then the leaders then tell the people, hey, we need to repent. But the king has to hear it by word of mouth. And he does and because God had prepared His heart as well, I mean, think about this for a second. I just throw out some names here. What when you think of like the most like sinful like city in the world or something like that? Throw out a name. Babylon. Well, Babylon, uh, Vegas. Vegas. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, the other names, right? What? <laughs> Seattle. Seattle. I mean, you got a lot of different names, right? And, and so it's, now imagine something here. Sacramento, okay, you gotta hold it. We gotta hold California's really on the bad slope here. You know, (laughs) think about this for a second. I just want you to dwell on this. Now, as disgusting these cities are, I mean, and 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 sometimes the sin that's going on. I mean, we could say Shillan. Don't 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 miss it. Brothers and sisters, pause here for a second. There's a darkness that is over this valley. This is a beautiful place to live. But there is a spiritual darkness that exists here. And many of you have experienced that and you've felt that. You've come up against it. Brother, we need to be praying against that darkness that God would remove this veil. Chelan could be included in that list. Absolutely. Imagine, though. Imagine the city that is so horrific. And all of a sudden, a messenger walks into the city with this Kind of weird message, because as a pastor, you're told to be clear, be clear, be clear, be clear, be clear, be clear, right? But imagine a guy comes in with, with this unclear message. You know, you're supposed to, like, repent, or you're, or you're going to be overthrown in 40 days, right? But he doesn't really, what from what? And who's the message from? But he just comes in and delivers this message. Somebody just rolls into Chelan Valley or rolls into Las Vegas or Sacramento or L.A. or wherever. And he gives this veiled message. And all of a sudden, people just hit their knees. And they go home and they rip off, off their Armani suits. They rip off all their athletic gear. They rip off all the clothes, the Nikes, their, their Reeboks, their, all that stuff. And they put on sackcloth and ashes and they begin to weep and mourn and just begin to profess that they're, they're broken and that they're, they're sinners and they're in need of God. And that message all the way goes all the way to the mayors of those cities and the mayors repent and the whole city believes. I mean, it's like wildfire, like, like, like a plague. How many of you watch like plague movies? Outbreak? Like, it just boom, right? Spreads, right? But the gospel being that effective that happens I mean, this is mind-blowing to think about. And most of us this morning are saying, yeah, that can't happen today, right? And that we expose a pocket of unbelief in our hearts. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. That this Assyrian people would repent, and the word reached the king of Nineveh, the chief scumbag. The guy who'd ordered children's deaths. The the guy who, in order to appease the false gods, ordered horrific acts to take place within his city. He advocates his throne. He steps down from his throne. He, He leaves it in a wonderful, powerful statement to show that guess what? I don't deserve to sit on this, I am a sinner. There's only one shoe should be sitting on that throne, and that's God, not me. And he advocates that throne, and he puts off, he takes off his royal robes. His robes that he would wear around the city to show the people his authority, and that he is the king, and he takes them off and replaces them with sackcloth and ashes. Oh, that our political leaders would do this today. And he steps down, and he joins the rest of Nineveh in the dust. And it is such a beautiful picture, all of Nineveh before God broken. What a beautiful, wonderful picture to see brokenness over sin. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne and he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. So he issued this prohibition that people are not to... To not, not even to put food in their mouths. They're not to eat and chew food and swallow it. They're not to drink of anything. They are to be broken over their sin, completely broken. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this for a second because I think in today's society, we've adopted a saying that has hurt us in regards to being completely broken over our sin. And that, it's okay. No, it's okay. I hear it from my own lips. I hear it from parents' lips when their children come to them and confess that they've done something wrong. And we say, no, it's okay. I hear it when we're 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 looking at people and when they've sinned and and somehow we want to lighten the mood or we want to make them not feel bad or so we say no it's okay. You see, this is the proper response to sin. Is brokenness, and I want us to do. I want us to do something here. I want us to get that out of our vocabulary. That when we're sinned against and that when we sin, we stop with saying it's okay. But rather we say, you're right, you were wrong. And God's grace is sufficient for you. Repent. Believe. Brothers and sisters, It's in brokenness over sin that we actually have the grace of God applied to us. But when we aren't broken over our sin, the grace of God doesn't get applied because we're saying it's okay. And it's not. Let's let's call sin, sin. Let's confess that sin. Let's seek forgiveness when we've sinned against someone. And be repentant in that forgiveness. We're not going to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. But really, you should have. No, let's be broken over our sin and say, I need you to forgive me because I really messed up. And experience God's grace and allow other people to say, you're right, what you did was wrong. And that's okay for people to say. I think we feel like if somebody tells us we were wrong, we're like, well, you just asked for forgiveness. Were you really asking for, are you really broken over your sin?" You see, we see a people that weren't justifying their sin at all. They were completely broken before God. You see, to believe in God begins with brokenness. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You can't get comforted by God unless you first mourn. And what are we mourning? We're mourning our sin, our broken state. And we get to rejoice in brokenness. And that's okay. Because if we don't experience brokenness, we don't experience God's grace. That's just so amazing here that even a really messed up people who were known for the horrific acts can be forgiven by God. And this journey begins with God preparing their hearts, they hear the message, and they're broken over their sin. I am praying and hoping that, that the people who heard the message yesterday from the testimonies that were sharing, shared by Ray Eichmeyer and Dave Coldy, and Margaret did such a good job, even you got Carl up there talking about Alan's God. Right? It is so beautiful to hear all that testimony given yesterday. My prayer is that people are going to get messed up and broken today. I'm praying that last night they couldn't sleep. Because it's in their brokenness as the Holy Spirit prepares their heart and they're broken over their sin that they get to find comfort. Because we look in so many different places for comfort. So many wrong places for comfort. It is in the comfort of God and when we're broken of our sin that we experience the comfort and the grace of God like a warm blanket being thrown over us on a cold day. What a beautiful picture that is being painted here in this text. I had Cassie, thank you so much, Cassie, for reading for us this morning, read out of one of my favorite texts in Scripture. Probably shouldn't have a favorite text, but that text just, I guess one of the reasons it's my favorite is because I have got this dream In my head, and I see this woman, and and, and it's it's strong language, but it's it's right language, who was probably viewed by the disciples and by most people as a half breed whore, hearing the truth of who Jesus Christ was, and she's got to respond and go tell other people. And she goes and tells her village, in just a wonderful spirit-led way. I think I found the Messiah, but you guys need to confirm this. And Jesus is talking with his disciples about, hey, there's been some reaping going on. There's been, excuse me, there's been some sowing going on. There's been some tilling of the soil that you had nothing to do with going on. But are you ready to reap that harvest? As, and imagine the picture here. As the people are coming out from the village, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples going, there's a people that are about ready, to, that are turning white and about, where you're, all you're gonna have to do is be ready to receive them, but guess what, they're not the people that you would normally like to hang out with. They're a bunch of Samaritans, you know? They're the group of people that you despise, but they, they're ready to believe. Will you be ready to receive them? They're gonna come and they're gonna be broken over their sin and they're gonna turn from their sin, but are you gonna be ready to receive them? I love the picture that's going on there of him having this conversation with his disciples as in the background people are coming. Jesus was the better Jonah by far, wouldn't you agree? Carrying the faithful, full message of God. To a person whom society had deemed worthless and outcast and of no value. God delights to see his grace poured out upon those that we think are dismissed in this world. As we continue on in this text, verse 8. but Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them... Call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. And again, we've got such incredible language being used here. It's interesting that what is being proclaimed by the king impacts everybody. I want the animals covered in sackcloth and ashes. I want the animals feasting. And I was reading... And the commentary is just interesting how God uses animals here. And now we know animals don't have a will of their own. But God seems to paint some irony in this. And that the animals seem to be more part of God's redemptive plan in this book than humanity. We see these commands of covered with sackcloth. And call out to God. Turn from evil and violence. The word that is used here in the Hebrew is just a cool word. I was reading in a theological word book of the Old Testament, and it stated that that this word shuv is, is a very interesting verb. It is the most complete verb in the Hebrew language for repentance because it involves not only turning from evil and wickedness, but it also means turning towards what's good. So it's the complete package in a verb. It's not just that they turned from evil and what they were doing and their wrong actions and the hurtful actions, but that means that they are also turning towards God. So they are turning away from this and to this. And again, if you're if you're doubting the sincerity of what's going on here with the Ninevites, you have to doubt the sincerity of the hearts of the Israelites. Because this same word was used of them when they turned from worshiping. We see this in kings. When they turned from worshiping their false gods and they took down the high places and turned to God. This same term is used for the Ninevites here. That repentance means from confessing I'm broken over my sin. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to turn from doing this and I'm going to turn towards God. And being obedient unto him and seeking his will and his desire for our lives. Verse 9. Who knows? The king states God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The language here isn't of manipulation. The king isn't saying this so that God will somehow be manipulated by their actions in order to save them from destruction. Rather, the king seems to be offering up here, listen, we don't know what God's going to do. I'm reminded of a lot of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they went into the fire and furnace. This idea that whether God saves us or not, he's still good and he's still God. And I think we see this statement here that this, this king is saying, whether God destroys us or not, and we hope he does, we hope he turns his, his fierce anger away from us. But no matter what, we were still wrong. And he's not saying what we did was okay. I believe a king is truly repenting for his own actions, for the actions of his people. May God turn and relent. Verse 10 This is such an encouraging verse to us because we see here, then God said what they did, saw what they did. Now notice this, and and this is where language and the study of language is very important. When God saw what they did, if you stop right there, you would say, well, God saw that they put sackcloth and ashes on, and then they earned their forgiveness, and they earned their their right standing before God at this moment. And if you do that, you misunderstand this next phrase, because this next phrase explains what it means for God to see what they did. And it says how they turned from their evil way. God saw their repentance. God saw their brokenness over their sin, And they're turning from evil towards God. That's what God saw. God saw what was going on in their hearts. God saw what only God can see. The true thing was taking place within their very hearts. That they were turning from evil and turning towards good. And God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Youngblood says it was not their rituals that caught God's attention. But their ethical transformation. Nineveh's repentance extended to attitudes and actions, but contrast, Jonah's repentance focused on sacrifices and vows, in 210. God responded to Nineveh's repentance by relenting from the disaster he had threatened. It's interesting. The word "disaster" is the same Hebrew word the author used in the preceding clause, with reference to the evil from which Nineveh turned. Remember, back in Genesis chapter—excuse me, back in Jonah chapter one, for their evil has come up to me in verse two. That evil that came up to them before God was the same evil that they had repented of and turned from. God is is responsive to human repentance because of his mercy. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10 says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and that that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Notice He says, if any time I announce that a nation. He doesn't say Israel. He says that a nation or kingdom is uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warn, repent of its evil, and then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at any other time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does not, and if it does evil in my sight, and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had threatened to do for it. God delights to show mercy. God delights to see people's hearts broken over sin so that he can comfort them, so that his grace can be applied to their broken hearts. God delights to do this. So it shouldn't surprise us. And I believe that God is delighting to do this and desiring to do this here in this valley and in this place. I believe God is at work and that these things that are taking place in our community right now are going to serve as opportunities for us to over and over to bring the gospel message. And that we should do so with great excitement and anticipation. You know, last week we talked about some of the reasons that we wouldn't share the gospel or that we'd be afraid to, and that some of them we feel like we don't have the right message and other things. And Glenn gave me this incredible picture for us this week that I just have to share with you. How many of you are planting gardens right now? A few folks? All right. it's good. All right? How many of you, like when you grab hold of that seed packet and are like getting ready to tear it open and, and plant seeds, I'm not a very good gardener, so you're like, you're doing it so wrong. Bear with me, okay? And you're looking at these seed bags and getting ready to tear it open, you're like, how many of you would like, you know what? I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna plant these seeds, and we just throw them in the corner because one of them may not grow. Right? That'd be ridiculous, right? You're like, well, that's why there's fifty seeds in there, okay? Because there's gonna have something's gonna happen, right? But isn't that how we treat the gospel? I'm not going to share the gospel because what if somebody doesn't respond? What, what if somebody's heart's not ready? But we don't know. We don't know where God's tilling. We don't know the souls and the hearts that God's out there right now working in. We have no idea. And they may be like the Samaritan people that are coming out of the village. And Jesus is telling disciples like, get ready because these people are about ready to believe. All you got to do is just, be present, speak to the lives and receive the harvest. Brothers and sisters, we have no idea the color of the harvest right now. We just know God's doing this work in our valley where people are dying and people are asking questions of why, and their hearts are being open to the receptivity to the gospel. Will we speak so that we can to be a part of this harvest coming in. This is a beautiful passage about how many, and I wanna see this for this valley so bad. (laughs) That our youth in this valley will believe and turn to Jesus Christ because political climate isn't going to save us. Environmental climate isn't going to save us. It's hearts being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is what people desperately need. It's what our neighbors need. And it has to, we have to first in our hearts begin to believe that God is, is working in this community. And we're sharing, you know, Steve Furman was sharing with me a story this morning. that How he shared with his neighbor that they had over for dinner the other just last night. And they're, they're, they're really hurting people. And Steve just like, man, very lovingly says to them, you know, I think God could really be a benefit here in your life. Because you're broken and you're hurting and he can bring healing and compassion. Now, they weren't receptive. But I was just thrilled there because guess what? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow they may experience brokenness, complete brokenness, and they may cry out to God like they, the Ninevites and believe. Because the message that Steve brought, he was faithful in bringing that message. We don't know what God's going to do. And I've talked with other people who are struggling with this text because they're like, Scott, God is really making me live this because I am being faced with people I really don't like. And you're telling me to bring the gospel, right? Praise God that it's getting hard. And I don't mean to be insensitive or or lacking love in any way. Because when things get hard like this, Peter, what what did Peter say? You have not suffered unto the point of bloodshed. What is Peter saying? Suck it up. This isn't heaven. We get to suffer for Jesus Christ, and it's for his glory and for our good. And it's so cool because we get to trust in God. We had a great conversation together, some friends of mine this week. Because when we often run into those moments, when we're being faced with people who are coming up hard against us, I mean coming up hard, that pockets of lack of faith get exposed. And we get to grow in our relationship with God even deeper. And it's a beautiful thing for us to go through these times and experience this. I can only imagine Luke and Tabitha, what it was like in, in Niger, and, and <laughs> man, the hard things that they had to experience and how they had to trust in God and, and how their relationship with God was grow. but it's in the midst of that suffering that that growth takes place. God is, loves to pour out his grace And he relentlessly pursues us in order to do just that. So we look at Jonah, and and I I hope we're encouraged this morning by this text that we don't know. I hope this builds some anticipation in our hearts like, Lord, are you going to do this in Shillane? I mean, how many of you are praying for Mike, Mayor Mike? Right? How many of you are praying for the city council? How many of you are praying by name? How many are you praying for our school board? I mean, how much time are we actually dedicating to prayer? Because we know that God works effectively through prayer. And we're not looking to manipulate God. We're looking to seek where God's leading and where God's going. And so we want to bring before God the people in our community and people in authority. But we don't look to say, well, Mike would just believe and trust God, and I'm not saying, I don't, I know Mike's salvation status, okay? Right? But if Mike would just, man, become a, a faithful pursuer of, of Jesus Christ, then the whole town would be saved. No, 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 no. No, no. I love Jonah. Where did Jonah begin? Jonah began with the lay people. The lay people. They started believing and trusting the Lord. And I just think of, I look how many people are in this room. And if everyone in this room just began to pray, fervently pray for our community, for its leaders, for the people God has put around us. And and, and we've got them. We've got people around us to be praying for. And we began to fervently pray for the veil to be lifted from their eyes, God to till the soil of their hearts, that they would be broken over their sin and believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe we could see the harvest turn white in Chelan. But I also think we have to face the truth of our own lack of faith in this area. I think we have pockets of unbelief where we believe, God's not going to change that person. Or or God's really not going to do that. I have said those things, I confess. But I believe God can do this. And I believe it's going to start with this body of believers pouring out their hearts to God. For the not yet believing in this community, and also praying for the other believers in this community. That all of us might be desirous to see God turn the harvest white, white, white and reap the harvest. And that God would just send more and more and more messengers into this community, that we would understand that we are a sent people. I believe. Maybe it's naive, but I hope it's not, that God can do what he did in Nineveh in Shalem. But I believe the way that's going to happen is through prayer, through us being obedient to the call of God in this community. And I would love it if, if all of a sudden people come to this valley in the summertime and they're coming to party, but they come into this place and all of a sudden they're discovering, man, these people are, instead of hating us for being here, for being tourists, they, they, they love us. I'm no longer going to Safeway and hearing and complaining between the, the checkout lady and, and one of the locals about how miserably slow the roads are. Instead, I'm hearing about, man, I'm so excited that we got all these new people to bring the gospel to. They may be only here for a week. Or maybe three or four days. But guess what? It's going to be a weird three or four days for him. That's what I believe can take place. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ permeates all of our life. And Alan Anderson was a great example of that. The gospel changed the way Alan lived. Stephanie shared with me about Alan plowing the the driveway of his neighbors. And there were were people who just wouldn't say thank you, right? Alan would do it year after year after year, and people just wouldn't say thank you. And Alan would be walking with Stephanie, and he'd say, I'm not going to plow their driveway this year. (laughs) Stephanie looks at him. Yes, you will. (laughs) Yeah, I know I will. Because then Alan desired to love people well and use the gifts that he had been given by God. Brothers and sisters, I hope we can look at this valley instead of with eyes. And I am going to confess to you, it has been hard for Christy and I to look with hope at this valley. today is your six for us. Six years ago, Christy and I started ministry here. And it's been hard. And I don't say that for you to, right, we're supposed to be poured out for God and that's a good thing. And Christy and I have been discovering who God is in this journey and we needed all of it. And I know some of you are with me. That you've lived here for a while or you've been here for a while and it's hard, it's hard to look at the schools and believe that God's going to change something there it's hard to look at this community and say man God's going to do something it's hard and we need to lean on each other and I'm going to go back to our life groups that's why I need my life group so I need them to speak into my life the truth Scott you can't stop believing it's not okay for you to stop believing what God can do Guy Evans is a perpetual optimist and he's lived here forever and if anybody can be a perpetual optimist I guess he can be And encouraging my heart that God can do a work here. We need each other to support each other. Dave, you just did a shameless plug for life groups in front of a whole auditorium full of people. I was, you couldn't have, it was a funeral, but I had this huge grin on my face. Um, We need each other to do this together. We can't do this on our own. We can't minister to this valley on our own. We need each other, encouraging one another, strengthening each other. Our youth need each other. Our single ladies in this room need each other. I just want to tell you something. I love you ladies. Many of you have gone through some really rough situations, losing husbands through death, divorce. In the lives of raising kids by yourselves and doing, I mean, you're some amazing ladies. And we want to support you. We want to draw you in and encourage you. Our married folks with kids need support and encouragement so that we don't say to our kids, it's okay. Right? I need Glenn watching me when I'm about ready to say that, hit me in the arm going, retired folks, folks that want to be retired. (laughs) We need each other, supporting each other, and continuing to speak into each other. God is at work. Belief, trust, don't give up hope. And I'm really excited for the Holy Spirit series that we're going to begin on the 20th because I think that's going to be like this major, massive injection of, of hope as we study the Holy Spirit and what God has given to us to live our lives here. But we need each other. And I pray that we would lean into each other as we desire to see what took place with Nineveh take place here in our valley. And I would ask this morning that you commit to being in prayer. A lot of us have smartphones. We put a lot of other reminders in there, but maybe we just need to put a reminder in there every day that's just gonna pop up who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that in this book of just, that is heartbreaking, there is this beam of just bright light as a whole people turn and surrender their lives that are broken over sin and, and turn to you. Father God, I pray that we would be a people that continue to confess our brokenness and our need for you and continue to, when you confront us with a sin in our lives, turn to you and turn from what we've been doing. Lord God, I pray for our valet, I pray for me or Mike Cooney, I pray for his wife Janice, and I just pray, Lord God, that you would draw them unto yourself. And that their life would be radically altered by you. And Lord God, I pray for Barry to Paulie. I thank you for the love that he has shown us, Lord God. I just pray that again you would invade his heart and his life. I pray for Brad Wilson. I thank you that he does know you, Lord God. And I pray that you would give him wisdom and strength as he walks the tightrope of being a principal. And Brian Wood as well in, in our schools. Lord God, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would just continue to permeate this valley. And Lord, I just I pray against the evil forces that are, that are present in this valley, Lord God, that have been present here for a very, very long time. Lord God, we need your forces to move against them and that the veil of darkness that is in this place would be lifted and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine and it would pour forth these through these people. That we would be that group of people that is is with Jesus in this moment to get a turnaround and and turn from the and, and look and see people coming towards us with a question in their mind, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he my hope for salvation? And Lord God, may we be ready to respond and to carry this message of hope and not be fearful. Lord God, I pray against the spirit of fear. Lord God, that we would expect you to work and we would be so reliant upon you and that we would see and delight in your glory and the glory of sharing the gospel so much more than our fear of men. Lord God, transform and change our hearts that we might experience that joyous hope that you have for us as we experience your relentless grace being poured out upon us. Thank you for Jonah. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.